From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the November 15th episode of SLP. SLP stands for Sheer Listening Pleasure, featuring your host, Neil Shear. In each episode, Neil offers his opinions and comments, speaks with his guests about dermatology, and, sometimes, one or two other passions. Support for the SLP podcast is provided by Leo Pharma Canada. Neil's guest today is Dr. Rachel F. Sinewasis. She is a dermatologist in Regina, Saskatchewan, and co-chair of the Indigenous Skin Spectrum Summit Conference on Ethnodermatology. If you have a question for Neil or his guest, or want to be in touch at any time, just send an email to slp at chronicle.org. And, if you attach a voice clip, we might even use your question on an upcoming episode. And now, here's your host, the derm boss himself, Neil Shear. Welcome to the podcast today. It's my great pleasure to be speaking with Rachel Asinwasis, who's a dermatologist in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And for those of you who are listening from outside of Canada, the province of Saskatchewan has just over about a million people and is very underserviced in terms of dermatology. Now, I will say Rachel's not the first dermatologist there, of course, and she won't be the last, but she is the one, that special one, who is changing the landscape, changing the world that her patients live in, driven by her passion and drive. And those words are thrown around a lot, but I really do mean it. What Rachel is doing is really changing the world. And that's why I'm speaking to her today. She's navigating the complex world, both physically and spiritually. So let's go back a little bit, Rachel, to medical school. Thank you for having me, you're, by the way. <laughs> yes. oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. And, you know, in medical school, so you go to medicine. Why did you go into medical school? And then, of course, how did that segue into dermatology of all things? Yeah. So thank you, Dr. Shear. So I'm glad to have this platform and thank you for having me here today. So I'm based in Regina. You know what got me interested in medicine? You know, as a teenager, I always loved science. Ever since I was young, you know, that was kind of my area of interest, even just a child, what kids can learn about biology and nature and things like that. I always was interested. So in high school, I actually did very, very well in sciences and maths. And I'm wondering, how can I put this into a practical career where I'll be able to work with people? Yeah, and put everything together. And so I actually applied to medicine. And I had some friends that we were studying together in undergrad, I went here to the University of Regina for my undergrad, which is home for me. I did my uh, biology there and that was way back. I'm dating myself now, <laughs> but that was way back. Started med school and I finished that in 2009. And I discovered dermatology late in medical school. When I started, I wanted to maybe do internal medicine. I was even looking at family medicine. Those are kind of my areas of interest. But I discovered dermatology late actually through Dr. Peter Hull. He's a mentor of mine. And at the end of our second year of our systems, which we do all the cardiology and all that, he was our dermatology module leader. And when I had that at the very end of systems or dermatology session, I'm like, this is just a combination of everything that I like. I called it putting together pieces of a puzzle. So you get to see adults and children of all ages. You get to see internal medicine related stuff. A lot of things like infectious disease, rheumatology, general internal medicine. You get little minor surgical procedures. You're not doing CPR at three in the morning <laughs> and there's a need, right? So I'm like, this is really a cool specialty. So I actually approached Dr. Hull during that and asked if I could do an elect. And he's like, yes, great. And I was based in Regina as a clerkship at that time that they split the medical school into clerkship. 
He was in Saskatoon. So I went and did some electives and he told me, you know, Rachel, you have potential in this field and I want you to apply. So I think that that was really my first level of motivation was realizing that dermatology is not what I thought it was. When I was in high school and elementary, I thought a dermatologist was a scientist who just, for example, developed sunscreens in a lab or something like that. Like I didn't know that they were a doctor. (laughs) It was late discovery. And I think that that kind of passion drove me to apply for electives. And I went to Sunnybrook, you know, obviously this is way pre-COVID. So I was fortunate and able to get those electives. I went to Montreal got some really good experience. I'm like, this is what I want to do. And then I applied. And I remember being so nervous at at my interviews that I was like shaking, you know, because for me, I love medicine and science. But I think one of the things that I have to get over is having better self confidence. And I was really nervous. I'm like, I'm not gonna match. But I did on carms. And then that was kind of how everything just started. It's an amazing thing about dermatology because internal medicine seems so comprehensive but then when you see the respect ideally they have for somebody like peter hull you know we don't know what's going on let's see what dr hull says they say you have a whole bunch of keys they know which key goes into the lock and they fix things and i remember that also like (laughs) it charges you up and you think oh my god well wait a minute this is very special it's hard to get the message out and you know one of the other areas then once you get into this and you're doing it And I want to get into a little bit about your academic growth and the research you're doing and the contributions. Clearly, the world is messy, but at least some of the veneer has been peeled off and we can see the kind of horrible mistakes that have been made over the years. But I know you're very passionate about the underserviced component of what you're dealing with now. Please tell me, how does it affect you and particularly in Saskatchewan? Thank you. So, you know, it's quite an open-ended question. And just to give you a little background, so I graduated in 2014. Now that I do the math, I'm actually going into my eighth year of practice now. So that's longer than I was in residency. And I just can't believe how fast the time flies. But just to to make a quick timeline. So what happened is I graduated and I moved back to Regina. I drove back with Uno from Toronto to Regina. And I actually lived with my parents for a couple of years to help pay off some of the debt that I had. I was interested in doing a fellowship, actually, perhaps in hair medicine at that time. But financially, that didn't work out for me. So I ended up going back home and what happened essentially is I ended up with almost a two-year waiting list less than a year into practice. I was one of the first new dermatologists in the region in many years. And just to give you an idea, there is, I think, just over a million people in Saskatchewan and I cover the southern half of the province, which is a catchment area of just over a million people. I believe the CPSA says that you need about one dermatologist to 60,000 people. So what happened to me to make a long story short is there was no smooth oiled, I call them smooth oiled dermatology clinics here. So I joined a family medicine multidisciplinary clinic when I started. And I quickly realized that the amount of overhead that I needed for the the skin cancer excisions and the procedures, we know that dermatology overhead is expensive. Like I'm preaching to the choir here and I'm going to tell you how that factored in. But basically, you know, I ended up learning that I need a dermatology-based office. The overhead is high. Like they were starting to say, Rachel, you're using too much cryotherapy. Our stitches are disappearing really fast. We have to increase your overhead. So that clinic actually ended up closing independently. And I looked around at other places in Regina in 2016, Dr. Shear, and you know what? There was no smooth oil machine, like I said. So I actually opened my own practice. I'm only renting. I'm not buying, but I have my own area right now. And I've been doing that since 2016. And Saskatchewan is the sixth most populous province in Canada. 
But if you actually listen to colleague descriptions and the number of dermatologists, we're actually very, very underserviced compared to our neighbors like Alberta, for example, or um, Manitoba. We've lost four new dermatology graduates, all who have graduated after 2014, and they've all left within a span of about two years due to inability to sustain practice. There are no subsidized hospital-based positions for dermatology in the province of Saskatchewan. So what that means is we're expected to see medical and general dermatology patients in a community setting with no overhead support. Think about that for a minute. Okay, and I'm speaking to dermatologists here that if our overheads run high and we only get paid very little amount to do, let's say, a stage two melanoma doing the lymph nodes and review systems, they might not have a GP. They're relying on you. The cancer center has discharged them to your care. If you only get paid, let's say, whatever, $30 or whatever to see that patient, think about how much time that can take to do it properly. Think about how much you have to pay your staff, your overhead, your equipment, and that all adds up. So, you know, because we don't get those extra subsidized positions or nurses, it's hard to get ahead. So our grads have left for inability to sustain practice. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about the money in my head, but now it is because I have to pay my own overhead and I just have so many complicated patients. So this is all my opinion. But what I think happens is all the complicated cases, you end up seeing everything. At the beginning, I seeing pimple, wart, I'm like, okay, keratosis pilaris. But now I'm literally bogged down in like complex skin cancer cases. Many might not be able to access their GP. Some don't have a GP. It's underserviced area. Heavy medical practice. I have so many patients on immunosuppressants, Dr. Shear and biologics right now. It's overwhelming and it's hard to do all that paperwork without nursing support. And I have like pediatric patients of all ages, but I don't see, you know, your run of the mill acne or warts anymore. Like my whole practice, it's like, oh, here's dermatomycitis. Here's someone who's had four melanomas, you know, here's an erythrodermic dermatitis and we, they're on a bunch of new medications and we don't know really what their history was. Or here was someone who, who has psoriasis who walked into a merge, was put on prednisone and had an erythrodermic flare or a pustular flare, right? We know steroid withdrawal can flare that. Like I said, it all builds up into a little bit of a stressful mess. And now eight years out, you know, I think that our new grads are getting crushed and we are trying to advocate through our own association to maybe get some subsidized positions so we can lay a framework so that others can come and not leave. So for example, if I'm going to get the paid the same amount or even more to see a patient with one wart that I scrape and burn, as opposed to a patient who's got PG, pyodermagangrenosum has recurrent pseudomonas, you know, and they might have underlying comorbidities and I get paid the same. Like, how are we going to sustain that if the other patients take 10 times more effort? You know, it's almost martyrism at this point. And last thing I'm going to mention before I stop, and I want to hear your opinion on this, is we don't get call stipends to do call. So I've been informally doing call here since 2014, but we actually don't get a call stipend despite applying twice. So we don't get senior residents to help us. We don't have, I don't know. It's just difficult, Dr. Shear, to the point where I just don't think I can sustain anymore with the way, way I'm going. As you can imagine, of course, this is a, a big issue for dermatology in Canada. <laughs> and also, considering how long I was in practice, I've sort of seen it all. Uh, one of the yeah. things that did help was we've sort of redefined our at the uh, hospital at the university as advanced medical dermatology. We are really working hard now with the administration to say, no, we are not just going to see, you know, every person who somehow maybe gave $5 to the hospital says, I'm a donor, you should see me right away. And, and we can't do that, we're all drowning. 
what we did do is with the Ontario Medical Association who looks after our billings in terms of what we can bill, of course, they have a fictional amount. This is how much you should really be getting paid. But in fact, it isn't. The ministry pays a small fraction of that. And the overheads, as you said, are the highest in dermatology among all the specialties, no matter who does the studies, our overheads are the highest and not with fancy stuff. Because we see a lot of people, there's a lot of work to do. And that creates the overhead. One of the things we did do was manage to create a list of complex diseases like pyoderma gangrenosum, as the example you gave, and included that and said, no, if we're going to be getting, seeing those patients, we need to get paid more. And there was an opportunity for a raise. You can give everybody in the province a raise, but then it gets diluted to being nothing for anybody. And the idea was to say, no, we are going to see stuff. And I will tell you, as we get into more complicated therapies with jack inhibitors, I can see that community dermatologists are going to say, I'm not going to do this. This is too complex to monitor. And they're going to send it to you. And I think between the government and the companies, et cetera, people need to support that. They need to support the electronic medical records and they need to support people in that practice. And that would include people who, like you say, to have advanced nursing care and things like that. So I think you're totally on the right track, which leads me to all this expertise. And of course, it takes time to really learn, first of all, who the enemy is, what needs to be fixed all these different bits and pieces. And you've been, you so nicely summarized that kind of battle that we have in our specialty and trying to do the right thing for really, really sick people and people starting to understand it. So now you're taking all these different things, you know, advanced degrees and stuff like that. So how does that fit in? Well, for me, you know, and I'm just being honest here, Dr. Shear, like whatever. Like I'm not married. I don't have kids. Actually, I lied. I have a fur, my little fur baby girl, Uno. But, you know, I got to a point where a few years into practice, like, as you know, in dermatology, we aren't at the hospital doing late night shifts. And I was like, you know, I want to do something different. I'm getting like a little bored watching Netflix with Uno. So I actually applied for my master's degree. And that was back in 2019. Thank you for being a reference for me as well, by the way. And I'm actually three quarters of the way through it now. So I work on it on my evenings and weekends. And the nice thing about this master's degree is it's in clinical and translational work research. And the reason I like it is you have to do research as a part of this degree and be able to kind of more critically assess the literature out there, which is a fundamental part of our practice, right? Like if I'm saying, oh, okay, here are the list of treatments for granuloma annulare, which are all off-label FDA, just like a lot of things in derma off-label. It's like, okay, well, what is the literature saying? And like, what is the strength of that literature? So I'm able to kind of look more objectively now at things like, you know, biostatistics or study design and even ethics, like that's a huge part of what we're doing. But where this is rolling in, Dr. Shear is perfect because the reason I'm working on all these projects is not just a clinical need, but we need to get some research in underserviced areas to inform policy and decision makers that there are issues that need to be addressed. And the prime example I have here is the remote Indigenous communities. So just to give you a little background, you know, we had our Indigenous Skin Summit, and I want to thank Chronicle for that back in March. It was very successful. I actually had a lot of outreach from doctors and med students alike after that. And there has been some progress since then. But right now, my focus is research. So what are we working on right now? I'll tell you. One is we're working on a systematic scoping review of skin disease in Indigenous peoples in North America. So that's not just Canada, that's North America. So I think that the states might be interested in this as well, because there's a lot of conversations around equity, diversity, and inclusion. But you know, my opinion is, is you can't talk about equity, diversity, inclusion in North America without talking about Indigenous peoples, right? Otherwise, they become the lost people of dermatology. And, you know, that is my true worry, given that there just really isn't much conversation going on there. But 
as the skin summit we had in March, which I won't waste your time going through all these things, there are issues going on, particularly with pediatrics, atopic dermatitis and skin and soft tissue infections, amongst other things like diabetic complications, which all ties into the bigger picture, right? Poor blood sugar control, lack of primary care, cost and transport issues, crowded housing for communicable disease. So in my clinical experience, you know, I have many, many patients. I can't even tell you how much. That's one project we're working on. The second actually is we're working on, it's almost kind of like a community participatory based action research project with Indigenous researchers. So I've liaised with uh, Jolie Sasakamus, who's a PhD, I think, in educational psychology and counseling, but she has a special interest in Indigenous research methodologies. And so we have a small team and what we're doing now is we've got ethics approval and we've got um, some leadership approval from the communities. And what we're doing is we are holding kind of like a sharing circle about their experiences with skin disease so they can tell us as opposed to us kind of more looking at objectively without involving them. So we're trying to get some conversations going. It's mostly qualitative data at this point. We always talk about hardcore quantitative data and research, but you know what, with this area, because there's not much known, we have to start with fundamentals. So that's things like our national survey as well that I'm circulating on skin disease. But we do have things going on. I just hope that I can sustain that. I think that's, it's fabulous. I mean, one is to define the complex cases, the diabetics with eczema, et cetera. And when you go to the government, well, we have to, no, you don't have to give it to everybody. Not everybody's going to be doing that. Mm -hmm. And, And the kind of support that you're talking about, it's interesting to me, having been involved in clinical trials and now data safety and all that. It was nice to see that the Nobel Prize for economics that came out is for people who did analyze qualitative research and right. say, there's gold in there. Everything yeah. doesn't have to be the perfect clinical trial, which in fact, those perfect clinical trials are for approval purposes. They have nothing to do with real life practice, nothing. And once you get into the real world, you realize that when patients start coming in who would not have been in the clinical trial, etc., And they're glossed, they're definitely glossed. Right. And by that, I mean, they're sort of buffed and polished before they're published. And you sort of think, gee, I was on that trial. I don't remember seeing it that way, et cetera. There's a lot of issues there. So I'm really glad you're looking into that. I think that qualitative research, especially with that Nobel Prize, is going to be very important as we move forward. People are going to be looking for what really is the truth, if you will. Talk about truth and reconciliation. I mean, we need truth in dermatology and we need truth in clinical trials and clinical guidance and all that, whether it's vaccines or or whatever. It'd be nice to see the truth there. I was going to ask you, I have two questions I'm going to ask you, and you don't have to answer them because you already did. One was, what keeps you going? And I can see what keeps you going. And what are the needs and priorities? And I think you answered that as well. Clearly, there's a lot there. And I hope the medical students are getting exposure to you and your passion and the work you're doing so that you can be, if you will, the Peter Hall for them to get Mm -hmm. them turned on to dermatology. But then you need to keep them. And I think you're on the cusp of something really big and impactful for your province and for your patients. Do you see Indigenous patients outside of Saskatchewan? Are you licensed in Northwest Territories or anywhere else? Dr. Shear. So that's an interesting question. And that's something that came up during one of our sessions. Someone asked if these patients that are NIHB, basically, are considered federally covered could someone see them from out of province license if it's a federal thing? And the answer is, I don't know. 
but I only see Saskatchewan based patients at present, but I'm actually hoping maybe on one day having like an Indigenous skin network. The Western Canada has more relative proportions of Indigenous peoples compared to the per capita out East. Like for example, in walking around in Toronto, I think I met very, very few Indigenous people. But here I see them all over the place all the time, you know, so I think there's more of a population here. But in reality, right now, I do have a specialized practice in Indigenous care, but three quarters of my patients are non-Indigenous where I'm based in Regina. So it seems like I see a lot of them, but actually it's a subsection of my practice. I think that with regards to needs and priorities, I think it's difficult for me to determine that at this time because there's a lot of information that I think hasn't really gone into that territories from other committees, our thought leaders were kind of opening up this topic. There is no literature. I've never heard about these in conferences before, but what I can tell you, Dr. Shear, is that I think that it is a reflection of social determinants of health in the bigger picture for sure. And that I think that the first step is awareness and documentation before we can move into more proactive things. And the reason I know this is I have met with, for example, medical leaders here saying we need to do something about the skin crisis, especially in pediatric patients. It's become almost a normalized life to see a pediatric patient. And I'm speaking from several hundred if not more referrals, a normal life to see a pediatric patient living with, for example, moderate to severe atopic dermatitis and or chronic infections like, you know, lice, scabies, impetigo. I had a pediatrician who goes to reserve literally come to my clinic about two weeks ago. He walked right in and he said, Rachel, we have to do something about this. So he's joining our research project now. But like I said, that's kind of my first area to start. The other thing too, I want to touch on Dr. Shears, you mentioned recruitment and retainment. I think that we, you know, especially in underserviced province, we have to look at recruitment as different from being retaining because at the beginning, it's easy to come in and see everything, but unless you restrict your practice to things that are manageable, you know, and let's say you, you, you're covered with all difficult patients that require time or don't have GPs, you know, you're not going to retain them unless there's some kind of overhead subsidization, right? Like we, their groundwork is not here. And that's why you'll hear people have Saskatchewan has a reputation. So priorities, you know, I don't know. We have to have a groundwork with having an association trying to advocate for us. But I think that unfortunately, skin disease might fall to the bottom of the pile, especially during COVID. And that's the challenge that we're seeing. It depends who's making the pile. When I've gone to hospitals, major hospitals in our city, mm-hmm. one person who, major, major hospital, and, and, and I knew him before he'd been at our hospital, but he was the CEO. And he said to me, oh, do we have dermatology at our hospital? So I'll always remember that. I mean, that was really impactful. Oh, yes. He looked at a list. Dermatology is ranked number 55 as a priority. So until uh, they have a rash or or their sister has a rash, I think there's a lot of work to be done and you've defined it very well. And and I'll go back to one thing is the pediatric crisis with atopic dermatitis. I've had very articulate families come in with a child who is constantly scratching every second they're in the room, obviously burning a lot of energy with that. And therefore they're not growing, which I ask about. We talk about it. It takes me close to an hour to convince this family that perhaps we can do some topical and oral therapies, not even biologics, just try it out. And I explain why. And, you know, to see them come back a month later with a child who's put on five pounds of weight, sleeping through the night, And the mother now in a conspiratorial way leans over and says, could you give her something that's more sedating? Because now she's got real energy and they have their child back. I mean, that's the thing. People come to you. It's like you're the fire department 
my house is on fire. Please do something. Say, okay, we're going to spray. No, no, no. Let's talk about it first. I said, no, your child's on fire. We have to do something. And people don't want to do it. And, and there's so many, we all fight, see these stories of people who, for whatever reason, and maybe it's fake information, but they just seem to have a distortion process going on that makes it very challenging for us when we have the treatments and the world has worked hard to create those treatments. Thank you, Dr. Shear. And I just wanted to expand on that a little bit. Like, I think that a lot of this thing with dermatology kind of being just lower prioritization compared to other specialties, I think that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what medical dermatology is by other doctors. And I think that that goes back to our medical school curriculum. Like, for example, they only get a couple of weeks of germ training, whereas in other systems, such as cardiology, diabetes, hypertension, MSK, they get those themes vertically and horizontally through medical school curriculums, but derm is short and sweet. And I find that especially after seeing several thousand plus patients to date, I can tell you that would you send every patient with diabetes to like an endocrinologist? It's just that they're not, I think that skin diseases are not managed at the primary care level where they could be. And I think that goes back to the education, but that also leads to misunderstandings such as the pimple popper. So one thing that drives me crazy is when patients come in and like, I just finished seeing a patient who's like a heart, a wound care patient, or they're an immunosuppressant and they make a joke saying, you know, Oh, pimple popper. I watched Dr. Pimple Popper. And I think that Dr. Pimple Popper is great. I think it's hilarious. I'm a dermatologist, but you know, I'm not a pimple popper every day. In fact, I have maybe seen one acne in two weeks and I work 50 weeks a year. I see patients on immune suppressants. I see patients with debilitation, Dr. Shear, And that leads me into the next thing I wanted to say is itching gets dismissed. Skin pain gets dismissed, but we know it's well-documented, for example, with atopic dermatitis, it's well-documented internationally that especially when moderate to severe, this disease is characterized by chronic itch which can affect people just like chronic pain, right? Especially children. And they often dismiss their problems because they're in an underserviced area. They're dismissed by their GP. They're dismissed by their gym class. It's just a skin problem. It just dry skin, but it's not. But it drives me crazy when people don't really fully understand the scope and impact of skin conditions and just kind of like minimize our, I think that might be a part of us getting knocked down in terms of importance. But a lot of little things, especially chronic disease, builds up to be a huge thing. And I can tell you with confidence, there's a huge skin burden on the system, in my experience in Saskatchewan. You know, it's nice. We have a good community across the country. And I hope that we can work together in ways to see that we can get messages across. But it seems to be an endless battle. And it seems to be true everywhere. And I say that as a medical dermatologist, and I, I understand the need for the other types of dermatology, but you know, medical dermatology is a challenge. Um, thank you so much, first of all, for all that you're doing and are continuing to do. And I can just see, you know, you're not looking in the rearview mirror. You're really looking out forward about what you can do for your patients. And that includes many steps, your personal growth, recruiting people, stuff is happening and you know what needs to be done. And it takes time to learn that because there's so much that needs to be done that how do you focus, but you've done that. And I think it's nice to see that even a disease like atopic dermatitis and then the therapies relevant to that, much like was seen in hydronitis separativa, this kind of stuff brought us together as a team. And I remember one of our trainees, it wasn't you, asked me years ago, I'm very confused about our relationship with industry because they're keeping told how evil industry is and they're trying to trick you into stuff. And I don't want to get into that in sales or whatever, but I do want to get into what I said to him. And I said, listen, we are here to make our patients healthy. We care about that. 
the companies who make these drugs care about it? Do right. cardiologists care about our patients? Do right. administrators in hospitals care about our patients? They do not. So who's on our team? Yes. Our team is us, the company, and the patient. And that's our team. It's very easy. And they're not evil. And fortunately, over the years, we've seen so many good experiences with rare disease that we are now able to treat. And it's a very exciting time for people with these horrible diseases. So it's nice to see that it's sort of leveling up and we're actually going somewhere. So I think you're at a great time. Listen, for the kind of stuff that you're improving in your own personal knowledge and abilities, you're going to be plowing in very different fields. And it's going to be very interesting to see what the crop is. You know, the way that I try to view it and like this might sound really naive, but I think that it's, we have to look at it on a humanistic level. We're all working together as people, no matter if you're a part of a company or you're part of a remote indigenous community, you know, and I think if we're working to make health disparities better, I think that that's important at the end of the day. So thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your humanist approach to caring for such important needs in the indigenous population and your local group everywhere. I think it's going to be impactful probably across the country, frankly. I think you're going to pull off something big here. I'm very excited Thank for you. We're getting our own models already, actually. And I've had multiple invitations to present. So that, that's I'm very busy, but it's a good thing. So That's a good thing for sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. And like I said, I just wanted to just get some information out there because really in Saskatchewan, I'll just conclude, we're very underserviced. It often feels very isolating not having like those academic people or a residency program around you. And to be able to even just vent or talk about my challenges, I think is important to have that platform through colleagues. So thank you. You're very welcome. If you'd like to learn more about the subjects discussed today, visit www.skinspectrum.ca slash ISSS 2021. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. On our next episode, Neil will chat with another guest from the world of dermatology. To subscribe, go to www.derm.city or find the SLP podcast at Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for the SLP podcast was provided by Leo Pharma Canada. Send your comments to slp at chronicle.org. Until next time, be well.